0: I'm really excited to share this podcast with you today. Peg Conway is just a beautiful speaker, a writer, and a lifelong griever. She lost her mom very early. It's a really beautiful conversation. She's able to offer a lot of insight to those of us who are still learning to carry grief. I can't wait for you to listen. Welcome to Grief is my side hustle. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle, the podcast. I am here with Peg Conway. She has graciously agreed to come and talk to us about the loss that she's been carrying over many years now. Thank you so much for being here with us. Kay hey, Conway earned a master's degree in journalism and worked in corporate communications before focusing on raising her family. Now she writes and practices energy healing in Cincinnati, Ohio, where she also volunteers at a children's grief center. To mark the 50th anniversary of her mom's death, she started a virtual book discussion group for adults bereaved as children. The Healing Power of Stories book club draws participants from all over the U.S. and the U.K., Peg's essays about early mother loss and long-term grieving have appeared at Manifestation, The Cincinnati Inquirer, and The Mighty. Peg and her husband have three grown children and one grandchild. Her memoir of early mother loss, The Art of Reassembly, is forthcoming from She Writes Press in November 2021. What a gorgeous title, Peg. Wow. Can't wait to read that. That's a, just a beautiful title. So welcome. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle.
1: Well, thank you for having me. look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me, you and I talked a little bit before uh, we started just now getting to know each other a little bit. And I said, boy, I'm excited to have you on because you really are an expert in this field of personal loss. Tell us a little bit about your loss and how, how you sort of define it.
1: Oh, that's a great question. I really resonate with the title of your podcast, The Grief is My Side Hustle, because in a way, a side hustle almost it sounds like something extra on, on the side, almost like a hobby. But then when you delve into it, when you listen to you know your episodes and read your material, it's obviously not a, like something extra on the side. It actually permeates everything. And that kind of sums up a lot of my experience, but it really wasn't that way for a long time. My mom died of breast cancer when I was seven years old in 1970. And I was one of four children, um, you know, very typical family of that era. My mother was the stay home person. And my dad was the breadwinner with two older siblings and a younger brother. And she had been sick for a couple of years. And so I, I kind of knew that she was sick. She went to the hospital sometimes and such, but I don't specifically recall what I was told or not told, but I know that, at some core level, I really had no idea. Well, I, I may have had some unconscious idea of what was going on, but I had no literal understanding of what was going on. And so the news of her death came as a very sudden, actually, it was a traumatic loss. It is for a child always, but there was really, I mean, it was the culture then of I mean, the Kubler Ross's book had just come out the year before. There was no hospice care yet. I mean, it was just a very kind of primitive time for yeah. readers. Yeah. I was from a kind of a stoic. Irish Catholic family where we didn't talk about our emotions. We, we carried on. That's what we did. I have described my dad as being among the worst suited to be a single father. And at the same time, he did his absolute best. And it wasn't like he was being nurtured and cared for in his grief and ignoring the children. No one no one right. was. Right. So we carried on, you know, my grandparents helped, my dad hired help. And that was kind of the definition of, okay, was, well, we went to school, we had food on the table, our clothes were clean. You know, to his credit, he really did take care of that. Yeah. And then several years later, my dad remarried, which again was another sort of out of the blue experience. Yeah. My way of carrying on was, and I think this is my innate personality and it was amped up by this experience of early loss is I became very controlled and very like responsible, like hyper-vigilant and, you know, taking care of my brother and able to fix dinner and on top of my homework all the time, just really managing things. And so the arrival of of the new stepmother was sort of out of the blue, like we had met her, but my dad had always maintained, you know, he had a social life. He went out on the weekends with friends and things. We were, you know, we're from Cincinnati. He had a lot of, a lot of connections. And so that, you know, was kind of heralded, that was kind of exciting in a way, but it was kind of, hmm, what is this? And in reality, the way it worked out is it became like turning a page. We we are starting this new story where we are a new family. And at that point, my older brother kind of moved out. He had finished high school and was going to college in town. So he moved to an apartment. And then a year, a couple of months after the wedding, we moved across town to a new house. We started a new school. Another year later that year, a new baby brother arrived. And then a year at the, within the next year, my stepmother adopted us and it, we started calling her mom. So, I mean, it, like outwardly, and, 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 you know, I was a kid who loved to read. So in my, you know, this was like a plot to me. My life was like, oh yeah, okay? everybody's
0: everyone loses a parent in a good children's book, right? Exactly. Like, and yeah. so this
1: is, this is the happy ending to our sad mm-hmm. story. And in certain ways it, I mean, my stepmother brought some very good things to my life. She really did. A lot of motherless daughters are feel you know, like they don't know how to do things that other women know how to do. I call that the social curriculum, I, the etiquette curriculum. I I learned a lot about, you know, I you knew how to give a shower for at a when someone was getting married. Yeah. Dinner to the neighbors when they're sick or whatever. That part was part of what became ingrained for me. But the part that was really hard was that still no one really recognized, okay, this is a child who's been through a very difficult time and she's way too responsible for her age. Let's let her be a kid now because we've settled out the household routine. But no, that's not what happened. I became the assistant mother for my baby brother who I adored. And that was fun for me at age 12. But in retrospect, it was not healthy for me. It was harmful and it was not good. So, you know, that's kind of how we played along, went to high school, college, became a communication person. And I moved in with a very dear friend from high school and we had, you know, she had bought a house, we shared the house. And, and really it was like the most carefree time of my life. I always tell my husband, this were the happiest years of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was a young adult. I was self-supporting. We had friends over, we went out. I mean, it was just like this really really nice time and then a year into that my I followed my friend in my car her name is Bitsy to a garage because she was having her car repaired and that we both worked in downtown Cincinnati and I was going to drop her off at her at her work and so we did that and I she got out of the car we said bye have a great day and as I pulled ahead I heard this horrible sound and I knew instantly that she had been hit. And I was like, oh, please, no. I, I I left my purse. I left my keys in the car. I jumped out. She is okay today, by the way. I should, I always say that right away. because. So that whole scene played out and that changed, it really changed everything for me because Way more than for her, really. I mean, she had a broken leg and some. Other right. it was an injury
0: for her, not a. For trauma. her,
1: it was an injury, and for me, I mean, I, I imagine it was impacting of her beyond that. But it really impacted me. Like I was, after that, inexplicably to me, weepy and anxious, mm-hmm. and I had all this these feelings of emptiness and like I was falling through space or something. And finally. I occurred to me, I have felt this way before when, when have I felt this way? And I realized it was after my mom died in the immediate aftermath, that feeling of, oh my gosh, what's happening. It was so startling to me. It's it's like 20, almost 20 years, 17 years later, how can this be? But it was the only thing that made sense. And so I began seeing a therapist and really began kind of feeling the feelings. And so this is the kind of the recurring theme is okay. I've done this. Okay. Now I'm done. Like, okay. You know, I went through a lot of emotional expression, a lot of, a lot of work and felt, okay, wow. I've really accessed this emotion, these emotions. That's great. It's good. And then a few years later, I got married to my friend's brother, Joe. My husband is my friend who was hit by the car's brother. Bitsy's brother. And Bitsy's brother. So Bitsy oh my and I God. are sister-in-laws. And so we got married and then we had a baby and then it was all kind of continuous though. Like, okay, now I'm a mother, I'm having a baby and all these things. I thought about my mom and missed my mom in a way that I had not. Of course, since I was very small. And it was very hard because I felt it wasn't just, oh, I lost my mom when I was seven. It was, okay, am I allowed to do this? Because I had all this other, this sort of training in this is who we are now this is your mother she's adopted you you call her mom and we never talked about my mother we never marked her anniversary or her birthday we didn't have any pictures of her out it was really we've moved on and so it was very it was like lifting boulders or, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really confusing. I wouldn't say I felt shame about it, but I felt like it had to be kept secret. It wasn't, yeah. it was sort of, a taboo. yeah, there was no I felt room taboo. Yeah, I get there that. was no place for it among my friends. Like my, my husband, I, I really give him <sighs> the most amazing credit. He is truly his unconditional support. And he was always very at ease with, the fact that my mother had died and he, he just took it as a matter of course. He always, and he always called her by her name. He was the first person in my grown-up life who ever he always referred to her by her name. It was almost like he knew her in some way that I didn't. I mean, it was it was it was very sweet. It still is very sweet.
0: Well, what is your mom's name? What is her name?
1: Her name is Mary Lee. Mary Lee. And so motherhood brought its own, mm. like further delving in and, and connecting to my mom. I really felt Like I would have these memories of, you know, when I was making lunch for my kids or taking them someplace in the car, I would have these, these visceral memories of being with my mom and my younger brother when my older brother and sister were at school. And it was just really comforting. I felt like I, and I, and I had this incredible awareness of, oh, of course my mom felt about me the way it feels maybe about me the way I feel about my children. There were, were, you know, reactive moments, of course, especially with my daughter, she triggered me a lot. But then, you know, we got to another plateau, like, okay, I've got, I've got this. And then when I was 40, and my oldest was 12, I realized, he's 12, and I'm 40. And then I had this, like, I was 12, and my stepmother was 40. I mean, I felt so sad for myself. Yeah. I really was like, "Oh my God, what was that? This is terrible." Then I went through a lot of anger with my toward my parents. Like I felt very resentful and angry that that I had been used or not seen. I, that's the word I mean. Like I did not. I took me a while to come up with that. Then my parents start getting older, and I'm back into. Yeah, back in close proximity with them helping with their care. And that was a very intense experience. And it was kind of in a way a do over like, okay, I'm not 12. I'm 52. I can have boundaries, I can not do things that feel like too much or I can parcel this out or I can ask people for help. I have siblings, they will help. And so so that was really a learning experience. And then after my stepmother died, clear, she died second. My dad died in 2013 and she died in 2016 and clearing out their condo. And amazingly, we're discovering a fair number of items that had belonged to my mom. Oh, wow. That's this when I started writing my memoir was mm-hmm. like I started writing. I had always been a writer and a journaler and, you know, I've been a journalist partially, but this this was more sort of reflective and I don't know, we can talk more about that, but just to kind of the chronology of it, that is that is when that really began in earnest. And claiming some of my mom's possessions. And then I started feeling like I need more than this. I need to do something. So I actually went and interviewed a bunch of people. I I now understand that I'm never going to be over it. It's not this linear journey that I'm on of processing something that happened in the past. It's a spiral where it comes back and even you know, becoming a grandma, my son and daughter-in-law had a baby last May and she is very adorable. And I love being a grandma. I was very close to my mom's mom when I was a child. And so I, that's a very positive evocation, but it, it brought up again in a different way that my kids didn't have my mom as their grandma and that recognition. Oh, the way I feel about this baby is the way yeah. my mom would have felt about yeah, she didn't get to do my that. children. She didn't get to do that. Now I'm 20 years older than she got to be. And so it's not, I don't miss her. I, but I still miss her. And it, it it's yes. all very like a mosaic. It's again, I'm, I'm very comfortable with outside the linear. And so I'm really, I really have come to a place of I enjoy talking about this. It just feels liberating. And it feels really important to me like my book and sharing my story, I feel it's really important to convey that it never goes away. And the way that children are treated, you know, what is said to them or not said to them when they're very young has lasting consequences. And I'm sure it has lasting even today, let's say in an ideal environment where children are supported and things are explained and they have opportunities to talk and share and remember. I'm sure that when they're 40, they still wish their mom was here. I mean, you can make it better, but you can't make it gone. I mean, it, right. You that, can't, t- you can't take away
0: the experience. And so some of what you've described is maybe about it being, you know, the seventies and, and what did we even understand about how we navigate loss with children back then? And I know, cause I've done some of the lit review that we believed that it was better for children not to hear about any of these things. They didn't have the intellectual capacity. And we treat all of that completely differently now. Or at least, you know, we're encouraging people who want to be educated about it. Like children can absolutely understand death. They can understand it really young. That when they're around the age of seven, they can understand the concreteness of it earlier than that. They're going to ask you a lot of questions that are painful. Like, well, when are they coming back? There's something about what you're describing, which is the event is still going to be the event. You're still going to have the experience of loss that you carry over time, no matter what. Maybe we do some of that better now than we did in the seventies. And there's this 360 element of what you are describing, which is that you, you feel lost differently over time.
1: That mm-hmm. what
0: you lost as a seven-year-old is not the same as what you lost as a 40-year-old. And exactly. That, I think exactly. incredibly important to talk about because that is a surprise to people. We think of like well there was a traumatic event it happened once I move through that sadness and then I get over it but particularly when it's a childhood loss but not only when it's a childhood loss what you do is you lose that primary relationship throughout the ages. We had an early childhood loss in my, in my childhood. And that was really impactful on my mom. And I did a lot of what you're describing middle child girl stuff, which is, I became like a mini mom. That wasn't something that anyone asked me to do. It was something that I learned to do and no one told me, and maybe no one knew back then that that was going to make like life in college kind of challenging the part that sounds really beautiful is that you eventually developmentally get to where you belong. You are a young adult when you are a young adult. You yes. were a young adult when you were seven, but then in your young adulthood, you got to be a young adult, which is-
1: And then in my thirties, I became a child again, in yeah. way, because the seven year, maybe thirties, twenties and thirties, because the seven year old needed to be heard and felt. I think the feeling part, is so interesting. As I reflect on when I was first accessing the sorrow that I felt, I would cry like very deep sobs, deep guttural sobs. It would be like in a way scary, but in another way, a relief. Yeah. And there've been occasions in my life where that happens again over actual events in the present, but it doesn't last as long. It's just sort of a a flow that comes and I'm not as, I'm not afraid of it the way I, I mean, I don't look forward to it, but I, oh, this is that, this is that deep sadness. And I kind of cry a little bit and then it, it will move on.
0: I read this beautiful piece about sort of like, you know, she calls herself a grief doula, but I read this beautiful piece about a woman who describes that as laboring through those emotions. Mm, that it's beautiful. This, And that, you know, again, when you're saying that, and I've had many people on this podcast and elsewhere say that to me, like Megan, there's this kind of sob and it's like, you don't have to explain anymore. I already know what you're talking about, but people who (laughs) haven't yet hit that, who haven't had the experience of that kind of primal existential loss, they don't know what we're talking about. And so it's, you can't know what it's like to live in France until you go to France, Mm -hmm. but I can describe to you that there's mountains and a lake that will help. And so part of what these conversations are is prepping a little bit sort of what that territory looks like, but also saying out loud to all the other people who had some weird, overwhelming sense of physical grief and real loss 27 years after something happened. Yeah. It turns out there are other people that do that too. Turns mm-hmm. out that, that that is just a totally normal progression in grief work even though it doesn't feel normal at the time, even though it feels mysterious, the the basic tenet of it, which I think makes sense to a lot of people is like, remember how when you came home from college or came home from school and then you slept a lot and got sick, but you weren't sick during the exams. We know the, we know the science behind that in your body, which is, you know, you're on this alert when you're staying up all night and studying for your exams your system knows that it needs all your energy for the exams and then it allows itself to drop in its vigilance your immune system and then you get sick or the sickness that's already been in there that your body is guarding against flaring up when it drops its when it drops its system and its its alarm bells then you feel the feelings. And that's Mm -hmm, sort of at the notion, right? So that's at the notion in PTSD and a lot of other traumas, like, look, your system is not going to let you feel all of the feelings when you need to run away from the bear. It's going to make your body run away from the bear. There's some bioscience around like how long does it take adrenaline to get through your body and how, you know, but what we know from vets is they were in a foxhole. They came home They were safe for about a year, and then they start having nightmares, suicidal thoughts, and they feel out of control. And so, what we know is, oh my goodness, when I'm safe, and safe is however your system defines it. My guess for you is would be really well connected to people who care about you. Mm -hmm. When my system Mm -hmm. is really well connected, I'm going to feel all those terrifying feelings that I wouldn't have had the intellect process at seven. And also probably would have been really disruptive to the safety of the rest of the family. If you felt all those feelings, you know, the family had to move on through, get, get mm-hmm, their job done, mm-hmm. do their, do their thing. So that notion that there's this shadow sadness that carries all the way to, yes, your friend was hurt, but she didn't die. Right. Serious. And also makes perfect sense.
1: It was fascinating to me. Even then, even as it was unfolding, yeah. like, wow. Is really cool almost. But I was able to recognize in as events subsequent to that that oh, when things happened that they might trigger that or they would not. Like it it would be like, oh, well, this is a death now. This is, you know, like when my mother-in-law died, she died kind of suddenly about 10 years ago. She'd been declining, but her actual death was sudden. It was a very present day event. I experienced it as a 48-year-old woman, not you know, not a, a seven-year-old. seven-year-old, what I'm trying to say is I'm way more aware, way more yeah. tuned in to my own reactions and still, still things can catch me off guard. You know, the, the departure of my children gradually from the nest and the, the flourishing independently, that has been a huge trigger in a way that I did not expect. I mean, it really activated over time, here and there. Not like a definitely not a once and for all event, yeah. but more of a here and that, here and here and here, little bits spiking of feeling you know, abandoned. I think I think midlife women are prone to that anyway, but yes. it's heightened. Yeah. I felt all of my children's transitions. I think when my oldest left for college, people thought I was really like overkill. But I think here, other women would say to me. I know I feel the same, like we would have these, these attached, I mean, we had these little,
0: but you're exactly what you're talking about is another one of those subjects that people act like, oh, well, you know, you cry for a week and then they leave and then you don't have any feeling about it. And no, it's a, one of those big life-changing transitions. When your kids go to college, you have to figure out like when there's a primary loss through death, I got to figure out who I am in the world again when somebody retires. So we act like it's not a big deal. Oh, you know, my husband's retiring, but the actual experience when people close a door and tell you about what that's like, it is way more fraught. We put on a level of grace that is not how we experience it. And I don't know who that serves exactly because when people get there, they're like, holy crap, this is way worse than I thought it would be. And, and and there's millions of examples like this. You know, people talk to me about miscarriage, but they'll say, I never, no one ever, I never even heard of one before, but you raise your hand and say you had one. And then all of a sudden lots of hands raised. That is so true. Talk about how devastating it is. So, you know, in general for good mental health, probably being able to talk out loud more and comprehensively about what these things actually do to us emotionally is for the best. At least that's that's the tenant I follow but I can't wait to read your book because I think it's, I think it's a, it's unique and also not unique. Mm -hmm. Trauma isn't about the event that happened. It's the meaning that you make from the event. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the meaning that you made at seven was my role in the family now is to be an extra mom to sort of help out this family. Who knows? Maybe you would have developed that with your mom had she lived, but most likely not. And then what does that mean going on in life? At some point, do I do that always and forever? Do I shift it? Do I change it? And what is the meaning of all of that for you by the time you get to 48? And I like how you're talking about the insight of it, right? Like, it's kind of like, I don't know, I just got chills when I was saying this, but it's kind of like knowing what haircut looks good on you or what what food your body likes to eat. There's no actual value in it. One haircut is not better than another. Mm -hmm. One food isn't, it's just like knowing yourself. That the concept of knowing yourself as a griever or knowing that you take things in and they knock you down for a couple of days and then you recover or that you feel loss as abandonment or that it makes you feel very self-conscious. These are things that people have told me. When my, when my mom died, I was, so 20 years therapist, specializing in trauma and grief for probably a decade out of those 20, trained in all the things, talked to all the smart people, you know, read it all. I was bowled over to discover how lost in my own sense of self I was. Mm -hmm. That at 45, I would have told you I had the right house, the right husband, the right job. And I don't mean right, like perfect. I mean, just content as hell happy all the time, bad things would happen. My definition of resiliency is just recover. I was able to recover from a lot of stuff, so much therapy under my belt, so much insight. And I could not find my way forward after my Mm. mother died. And I did some inpatient treatment work because it was so overwhelming. And I kept saying to people, I mean, they were funny. They were like, yeah, you kept saying that like your sisters, you would have thought your sisters who were actually emotionally closer to my mom would have been more impacted by her death. But my role as a child, when things were difficult in my family was as the second mom. Mm. So when my mom died, there wasn't a second, a person to be second to. So that kind of codependent little structure that I had set up was like the circus left town. Am I still an acrobat? I don't even know.
1: Wow. What an analogy.
0: That's a great one. And it was, it was fascinating to me and none of what I knew and none of my previous insights were handholds. I, I was in a cave where like, I had to look for different equipment than I had ever used before. Mm-hmm. At the time it was terrifying and really heartbreaking. And now I look back at that and I'm like, woof, life can really surprise you and teach you things when you least expect it. The element of like you said a second ago, I like talking about this, which maybe is a perverse thing to say, like who would want to, who likes right. talking about- And people
1: lost? get, get emo- like- When you tell people your mother died when you were seven, like I didn't used to like to say it. And that's very common among people who lost a parent. Like you just don't want to deal with other people's reactions. And now I'm I I recognize it for people, it's a hits a heart button, of course. But I don't feel like I can have my own reaction. I feel there was so much, so long of not talking. And it's not just the not talking. I real that this has been like the in the the last layer of recent years that of not remembering, like not even, we not only not talking about her death, but we never talked about her life. She existed that, you know, she, and, you know, as part of the, this adoption by my stepmother, our birth certificates were changed. And so, you know, the social worker asked us, this is what's going to happen. Are you okay with that? Well, what are you going to say when you're 12 years (laughs) old? There's no other answer, but yes, even though there was a part of me inside that was Mm, not sure about this. That really bothered me. You know, it still bothers me the idea of remembering my mom that she yeah. existed. And I, I really, I really find that just really important. I made a photo book of her. I, I started this book club and this past November was the uh, 50th anniversary of her death. This was my brave step. Cause I, you know, I had done a lot of things sort of privately with, or yeah. with other with like, it, as part of Hope Edelman's programs with yeah. daughters, just really great connection and, and affirmation through that kind of community. I thought I need to do something with my own family. I really need to do something with my own family. So I just sent it, you know, of course we're, we were still in the COVID semi-lockdown in November. I sent an email to my aunts and my siblings and said, hey, it's 50 years next week. Let's just gather at the cemetery and just say hi. I planned nothing other than we all gathered. And it was lovely. It was almost like everyone was like waiting for that to happen. Of course, this we were going to do this. Or, I, I don't know. No one acted like weird about it or why would we do this? They all were like, mm. oh, this was great. I'm glad we did this. And so less can be more. And, I, and that's something I feel very strongly about for children always. Like Remember the person like don't forget to remember their life and save things that they owned and preserve their memory for the child because when they're 40 or when they're 25 they're still going to want to know.
0: Yeah, you know, so in grief and loss work part of what we talk about is going from having a relationship with the person to being able to have a relationship with their memory.
1: Mm -hmm. For
0: some people, this is not the case for me, although I wish it was with both my mom and dad. My relationship with their memory is not an active one. I don't imagine my dad sitting and talking to me about something. We don't have conversations in my head. And I know many people who do. So, but the, but the notion being again, that you are going to have feeling about them not being in your life for the rest of your life. And so having their things around, having concrete memories that are yours, that you practice having from a young age, not pushing it to the back, but being able to say, no, I do. I remember, you know, that moment so that you can have those as you get older when it pivots and shifts, my mom and I did not have the easiest relationship because the, the way that I felt as a kid was pretty unsafe in a really, it, and I think if we had all my siblings in here, they would say, what are you talking about? We were fine. But that was the way it felt to me as a kid. And then I went into therapy and was able to sort of look at things and be like, why was I babysitting my kid, my younger brother and sister when I was 12? Like, what, why was that? Well, you know, there's lots of reasons for it, but I had a lot of anger and frustration. I took some of that anger and frustration out of my mom, but that was kind of the owning the relationship I needed to have, which was just age appropriate young adulthood. And then I became a mom, which my mom was a mom at 19. I was a mom at 30. So a lot of how she would engage with me when I was like 25 and, you know, just met my husband and all that stuff. She would say things that were like, I don't know. Cause I had three kids by the time. I don't know. I didn't go to graduate school. I don't know. But by the time I became a mom, it was like, we had this shorthand with each other where Aww. I was like, oh my God, this is what this feels like. It is blindingly terrifying and exploding with love all at the same time. And I. And it was such a lovely spot to have gotten to, which was, we just made more sense to each other. And she articulated that to me, like found me softer and easier. And it was easier to be forgiving hmm. to just sort of say like, look, you know, a, you were young. And I know that now, cause I'm much older than you were when, you know, when I, when you had me and B there's a different track that love is running when you are doing these things imperfectly. I mean, there was our childhood loss was a teenager died and I will, you know, I will never forget my younger brother being like, you know, we're X number of years older than mom and dad when that happened, because in my mind's eye, they will always be older than me when that happened. Right. That's how you hold your developmental narrative. And so there's a lot of space of just most of how I related to her in this Let's say past decade was calling and saying, How the hell did you put food on the table for six kids? Like, how the hell did you pick us up from soccer and manage to grow rhododendrons? I don't even understand how you did it. I have to, I am outsourcing this to other people. She was so gracious about it. She would say, Well, you know, I wasn't also trying to pursue a career and, or that's what people did at that time. And I think part of the law. She loss- was also younger. <laughs> she was younger. Oh, better knees. Man. I say better that about knees.
1: myself. I was younger,
0: <laughs> but, but, you know, I wasn't done the period of time where I was being grateful and thanking her, you know, I wasn't done having perspective and being able to say, I get it. You make more sense to me now. You didn't as much. That's the part that I really feel like I'm missing out on now. But that's just now, you know, I don't, my mom was a grown woman who was able to be there and really care for her own mother as her mother went through decline over a decade. I always assumed I was going to do that.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Right. And I'm not, you know, my mother, like from a memoir perspective, she went to sleep, she died. That's what happened everyone is like, wow, that is the best death. And I mean, she was holding her rosary. It was the Aww. best death for her, but I assumed I would participate more in the being an adult in her life with right, appreciation. Right. Then you I felt got really
1: robbed of the whole stage
0: of life. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know that I feel robbed of it. I just, it, it never occurred to me that it wouldn't be there. And it was a short, you know, I feel grateful for everything that I got. I think some of the grief that I feel, you know, some of the grief that I feel is like when I see there's this great Netflix documentary that I keep raving about the, the art heist at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And my mom was totally and completely obsessed with that particular true crime story. She liked lots of crime, but that was, and just the idea that she doesn't get to see that. It feels mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. impossible to me. Like she's the only person on the planet that could have cared about that. She would have cared about it more than anyone else. And she doesn't and get now to speak. she's not here. There's some of that, which is the pure missing. And then I think there's some of what you were describing a little while ago, which is we continue to grow in age over time. That person that we are misses them differently, wishes for them differently, grieves for them differently over time.
1: Yes. Very right? much so. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, And in my case, I had to find her in order to miss her. Like I had to sort of make her a presence again in order to kind of claim the absence. I I felt sort of like a disenfranchised motherless daughter because I had, I mean, I had a mother. I mean, what, what is a mother anyway? You know, like, what is it is if she's dead, is it still count? And I have this other person and what how It was a lot to unpeel. I've just really, it took a lot, obviously it took a lot of years. There's a lot of people in the 40, 50, 60 and beyond age bracket who were bereaved as children who are beginning to wake up and find themselves. And it's really an interesting connection.
0: I imagine that's fascinating to, to, be a participant in with other people and sort of say me too. I had
1: a relationship. Oh yes. Lost. I actually should have mentioned that in my beginning remarks because that was in 2018 I went to a in-person retreat with Ho Edelman and yeah. Well Smith. It was for women who had mother loss prior to age 21. And to sit in a room with 30 women, all of whom lost their mothers young, that was the most impactful experience in my grief journey by far. And I was really far along at that point in time, really, you know, I've been writing and I I really was kind of getting to the core of it, I think. And uh, that was, it was just really, I felt seen like that. Again, I come back to that. It made me feel seen in a particular way. And it has, the relationships forged there have continued to be very very supportive. Cause I think what happens when you're, and this probably is characteristic of all early trauma, when you're, when you're aware, even when you're fully aware of its effects, like you're having a moment where you're totally triggered or whatever, there's, I think there's a tendency to feel bad about yourself. Like, Oh, I'm not over this or, Oh, why am I so different than everybody else? And I think normalizing it and finding compassion for yourself is when it starts to get better. Like I'm I'm not broken. I'm just having a moment here. I can kind of and actually my energy healing work it came about out of the unrelated to grief at all through friends. Really I I find that it is completely applicable to this kind of the core to me the crux of it of being able to have compassion for yourself that Okay, I'm okay here. I'm gonna just do some abdominal breathing. I'm gonna do a little hand holds here and there to kind of bring myself back out of my reptile brain into the present moment. I'm I'm okay, or you know, and and, and kind of move through it. I the program I study with is called the Healing Touch Program. It was started yep. by a nurse in the 1980s. If you've been around hospitals, you may yeah, be I've heard with of it. it. Yep. It's very big here in Cincinnati, and uh, I just find it it goes beyond, there's something about gestures, not words that in offering this to other people, I find it very meaningful and receiving it. I find it very meaningful that in fact, when my stepmother was dying, I did a, there's a healing touch Mm -hmm. technique called the chakra spread that's meant for transitions. And she and I never did have, we never had a final conversation. We never like, clear the air or we were just never able to do that and I thought I need to mark her passing because I that's the other thing that comes out of my story is speaking the truth remembering and marking like to to Mm. honor without hiding or avoiding that and so not having words having a gesture it moves something inside you I don't know
0: There's so much that I think the field of trauma is working to kind of back at, back in the science, but there's so much that we already know, like healing touch and energy. And Mm -hmm. so we know it without really knowing it. Right. So I can't say to you, this is exactly why this works, or this is exactly what this means, or this is the part of the brain that this is impacting. But we, but what we can say is, you know, I felt a shift. I felt an energetic shift after this. What I love about how you're describing it is like, yeah, no, I get that you didn't do energy work on account of the loss, but I really think there is some wisdom that our systems head towards to make sure that we have some tools for when we might need them. And that we may not know that. I mean, it's very woo-woo, but that we may not I'm know very,
1: that. I am very woo-woo. I,
0: You're an energy healer. So you got to be my people, but that we can feel the relief of it as something, you know, I, I mentioned this on the podcast all the time, but I go hot and cold inside my body, which I've always done ever since I was a child. And I do all these bottoms, bottom-up therapies, which are, you know, Energy therapies, Mm -hmm. because the way that the brain works, the right side of our brain, which is all that instinctive and spiritual part, often has a knowing and has a truth to it that you're never going to get to by being logical and verbal. Mm -hmm. And so, in the kind of trauma work that I do, some of it, some of the trauma is on account of hitting that freeze state. Something bad happened, you were completely immobilized. Your thoughts were still going. You couldn't move your body. And so what we do is we go back with our kind of our five senses experience. We bring back that sense of fear and terror in the body as we can. And then we create a new experience inside the body by adding a different energy, which is movement. So you were in a car accident. You were trapped. You couldn't help your child you know, we just use our imagination and the energy inside your body. I mean, I just said, we just do that. Like it's simple, you know, it's difficult, but it does feel different. Mm. Part of what I think you're describing with the energy healing and also your story in general is there's the narrative story coming to understand it with some insight and understanding. And then there's also the energy story, which is knowing that when you have these feelings, they mean something. Mm-hmm. And that the energy needs to be moved and transformed and shifted so that you don't carry it in some kind of way that causes you pain. Right, And that to me are like the, the two most critical pieces. And often people come to me with, pieces in their story that I am so grateful for. Like, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing that you have already trained in acupuncture. Like, wow, that's amazing that you already did like a whole in fifth grade, you did a whole family tree project. Like who knew you were going to need that in this way?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Who knew that that relationship with that person that you had from so long ago was going to end up being the undergirding, the kind of healing and support that you need right now, which that's the part that I just sort of feel like, wow, people have a vast
1: capacity. And in my healing. experience, the bodily, you know, energy piece feeds the narrative piece, the ability yeah, to right. be present in the body and recognize all the sensations and feelings allows the narrative to emerge from more of a distance. Like I'm not, you know, inhabiting this totally. freak out moment. I'm, I can see it in context. I can see what relates to this other thing. And mm-hmm. I, I really find that fascinating and, and rewarding. And yeah. Relief. Yeah. It's a relief to, to be, to have a tool like, okay, this is not always going to be this way.
0: Exactly. This is not always going to be this way. Right. Like the, the over again, in trauma, what we talk about is sort of your nervous system being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. A traumatic death of unexpected event is one way. There are many, many other ways, but when we're talking about it in grief work, it's how do we, what do we do to help that nervous system, increase its tolerance for the truth, which is this loss has happened. And I've said this before, when I went into treatment, I could barely even just say the words, my mother died Mm -hmm. before it felt like an alligator came up from the swamp and clamped it and pulled me into the water. It was too overwhelming. And so I think there's this Aspect, and I often ask people when they come in to talk about grief and loss where they are with their narrative. You know, how able are you to talk about what happened? How activated does it make you inside your body? Because it's really important to get to a narrative that
1: doesn't—that doesn't like drag
0: you into the woods. You know, I, I worked with a pizza place up here that famously had a gunman come in and. The waiters are like 18 year old college students. And so they called me in and they were like, oh my God, the, you know, the poor kids, well, the community that loved this pizza parlor, every person that came in said, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. Were you here? And so, you know, they had these little scripts on their pad that were like, but the advice of our trauma therapist, we are not supposed to talk about what happened because it's too activating and it makes us feel afraid again. Like that's not what the people wanted. They wanted to feel supported, but at some point you need to be able to have a narrative because it's the truth Mm -hmm. that says, this is what happened without it. Exploding your system into fireworks, and then you have to go to bed for three days. And so, what are the ways that we can go about doing that? And I, I, you know, I have a million ways that I can suggest, but generally people have their own ways. And sometimes it's writing, and sometimes it's running, and sometimes it's being in nature, and sometimes it's talking, but it is usually an action of some kind. praying, but it, it requires, you know, you're picking up boulders and you're moving them and you're creating a a stone wall. Are you going to do it by yourself? Do you need other people, you know, and sort of helping people understand that they're growing their capacity to carry this energy and that they're not supposed to know how to carry it right away. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. And that we learn that we learn that skill over time, but that we will, most of us, learn it, really do learn it. And that crying is one part of it, but it even sounds like for you, part of what happened were these little shards of sort of the, the birth certificate is one of them where like, you know, in the moment that you're almost like betraying yourself, but you're 12 and you need somebody else to say, you don't have to do that. That's okay. What's beautiful. And when
1: I'm 45, I need to say you were 12 Yeah, There was nothing you could have done. Let this go. No one blames you. You mustn't blame yourself because you were not in charge. You were a child. And that was a really important insight for me because I think I was always, the the tape, the the voice that was playing didn't have a particular age. It didn't have any perspective. It was just that, that child voice probably. And so the adult me recognizing, no, you were a kid. You you really had nothing to say there. You, well,
0: the word you used a dozen times, which is at the root of a therapy called IFS therapy. Well, it's one of the roots of it that I, IFS therapy that I really love. That's a guy named Dick Schwartz invented. And he's, you know, not that much older than I am. He's just like a super genius is compassion, How do I show up for the part of me that went through this with compassion Mm -hmm. instead of judgment? Because I think what judgment is, and I say this a lot, judgment is like, and and Brene Brown talks about it too, not this way, thank God, because it's nuts the way I talk about it. But it's almost like this, like smoke and mirrors, like sleight of hand, look over here, look over here. You know, if I am saying, why didn't I speak up for myself and say that I didn't want them to do this with the, we're, we're judging ourselves. And what we do is we then skip, we stay in the like, oh, I should have done better. We skip the, oh, and that was such a painful moment for me. What a freaking painful moment for that 12 year old to not know how to handle that. And what we want to do as an adult is Be the support that little kid didn't have and show up and say, oh my God, honey, I'm so sorry. This was such a hard moment and you didn't know what to do and there was no one to help and it didn't go right for you. And you've been carrying it all this time. You know, that's where the compassion comes in, in this really incredibly healing way that I can look back and be mad at my mom that she let me cook dinner for my siblings when I was 10, but what is much more needed for me is to go back and say, you poor kid, you were terrified all the time. And this was your effort to feel more in control. Like, oh,
1: Absolutely. I totally hear that.
0: And I find that easier with my own children, you know, and I often with clients will say like, can you bring a picture in of yourself when you're 10 so that you can just look and see like the skinny, all elbows, all knees kid because at the time when you're 10 and you're cooking dinner, it doesn't you don't feel little.
1: You feel grown. No, you feel like an adult. Yeah. And it's so to go yeah, yeah, to go
0: back as an adult and say, I mean, you said it, you looked at your 12-year-old son and you were like, "Oh my god. That's so little." Cuz it is but it doesn't feel that way at the time when we can show up for that with a the compassion, then it feels different, right? Mm-hmm. Then the memory begins to feel different. It feels more supported and it mm-hmm. feels more true.
1: Mm-hmm. It is more true really. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I was then in my forties and I was able to take care of myself and absolutely live in an honest way. And yeah. Yeah.
0: There's this beautiful thing in IFS therapy where you take that little wounded child and you show them around your adult life.
1: You Mm. ask them
0: first, you say, how old do you think I am? How old do you think you are now? And usually a kid is like, what are you talking about? We're eight. And you're like, no, we're not. I have a car. Let me show you. Because that's the thing that the kid is terrified isn't going to happen. There isn't going to be a good life going forward. So they're kind of white knuckling to make sure that it's all going to be okay. Right. And so to show, you know, this moment where you're like, let me show you, let me show you all the things. And for those of us that have done inner child work, there's often stuff that the kid would have liked in their life. Mm-hmm. My mother was not a silly parent. I mean, she had six kids. I'm super silly. Like we've disco lights in this house. We have lots of bean bags, lots toy in a way that, you know, just wouldn't have made sense for my family growing up on a farm. Although interestingly, my mother was really silly as we became adult children. She was very, very funny. So I think probably, you know, she had her own spectrum of traumatic growth. Right. <laughs> Going right. from being a mom at 19 to, you know, to all of those, to growing over time. I, I do want to ask you, I know we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you about your, your book club. Will you tell us a little bit about what that is? And- sure.
1: Sure. It's, it's open to people who lost someone significant in childhood. It doesn't have to be a mother. It can be a father or a sibling or someone very close. It's mostly mothers Yeah, thus far, some fathers, and it's all been all women thus far who have attended we read a book a month and it might be fiction it might be nonfiction, it might be memoir we've read fiction about children who've lost parents like even some you know youth fiction we read claire bidwell smith's what comes next or after yeah. this after, called, this. after, this, after um, this about the afterlife yeah and most recently what we we'll read mike haney michael haney's memoir after visiting friends which is about yeah. he lost his dad at age 6 and then We most recently read Danny Shapiro's Inheritance, which is not strictly speaking about childhood loss, but we did, we do have a member who had a DNA surprise and we, some people just loved it, loved hearing Mike Haney on her podcast. And just her subject matter and it the whole questions around identity and discovering later and going back mm-hmm. the thematic elements were very relevant so we meet we just meet for an hour on zoom four o'clock in the afternoon on a sunday and
0: Lovely. we'll
1: be selecting the new some new new selections coming up starting for june and
0: does everyone suggest books do people come now they or, do yeah.
1: i i picked the first dozen yeah. half dozen or so yeah, because the origin of the kind of the meaning of it for me is one of my memories of my mom is taking me to get my library card when I was six years old. And again, third kid in the family wants to be more grown up than she is. And so we labored over learning how to write my name for the signature. And so that was that, that's just a very fond moment of mine. And I yeah. much later realized the role that books have played in my grief and my yeah. coping. You know, they were a refuge for me when I was a child. And I can cite key books that kind of opened my mind and brought me insight, notably Hope Edelman's books, of course. And so it just seemed like I wanted to do something public and that seemed just kind of came to me. And so it's been fun. It's kind of formed a nice little community. There's about eight or 10 people that come the most frequently. Some people have never are on the list and I think maybe follow along in the shadows. We have a Facebook group too.
0: That's lovely. I think they're Like I said, if everybody wrote about their grief, we'd still need to hear all the rest of the stories that everybody else has, because we're kind of behind in terms of being able to talk about it, but also just all kinds of small communities, big communities. And I do think both Hope Edelman and Claire Bidwell Smith, and there are a few others, Megan Devine- is another who offer communities that are not super expensive to join. I have a writing group that's free that it's had everything from 400 people to 500 people to 40 people just sort of depends on the day. But I think finding those places where you can actively say, I'm going to be connected to other people and we're going to be connected around the idea of grief and loss, it's both a relief just in the everyday. Cause you know, that that's where you can take that, those feelings. And also just a reminder that we're all connected, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in grief and loss. The thing that I wanted to say that I always think about when people, when someone says to me, I was a child who loved books, what they are also saying is I was a child with a strong imagination, ah. right? It does take imagination and hope in order to sort of, Move from the traumatic event into a life that carries the traumatic event and is Mm -hmm. not only defined by the negative, that there's traumatic growth and that there's um, movement and that goes forward. So, there's something about you describing the cerebral thinking part of you. But also, I just want to point out to our listeners that you've multiple times said that you have a very active imagination, that you have. I think, cultivated through things like reading,
1: mm-hmm, which is, mm-hmm.
0: you know, important. That's,
1: that's a great insight. I hadn't really thought about before about myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, and the other thing about reading for people is that they don't, you know, our brains, cause, and I do a little class on this is, you know, our brains have this period of time in fresh grief where they really have a hard time doing right. lots of things. Coding language is one of them, you know, these parts of our brain that are sort of buzzing, And one of the things I always remind people is that YA novels, young adult novels are all about loss. Every one of them, they're not all about death, but they're all about loss. Because in order to sort of create the identity of an adult, there is youth that needs to be lost. Mm. And when my dad died in 2017, I couldn't read anything that was longer than a Vanity Fair article. Oddly, when my mom died, I was eating every book alive. I just couldn't stop reading. But the first book that I picked up, my my youngest guy, and I've been in touch with this author, I'm hoping she's going to come on the podcast. We were in, in the UK, although this is an American book, it had a different title in the UK, which is relevant to the story because the title was Big Fit, Tobin and Me. Hmm. And my son was like, this book is about Bigfoot. We got to read this book. And in this country, and I think in its original, it's called Lemons, which is to me a less dynamic title and one that my son would not have picked up. But he picked up this book and he had a gift certificate and we bought the book and brought it home. And I was like, it's a kid's book. I can read it to you. Holy crap. That book is about grief and loss in the most profound ways. There is not a character in that book that is not carrying. And they're complicated. They're complicated losses. The the little girl whose name is, I think, Liberty Lemonade or Lemonade Liberty or something crazy, her mom has died and she goes to live with her grandfather. But in doing so, she's displaced from a teacher that she had been staying with. Her grandfather was not in contact with his daughter. They had fallen out. He's carrying all this loss about never being able to. He always thought they would. I mean, it is I read this book like, oh my God, oh my God. But it was so, it was such a light touch and really a story about Bigfoot that when people tell me that they can't read, one of the things that I say to them is, have you gone to the young adult section? Mm. You know, if it feels important to you to, because I do think imagination is an important thing to actively cultivate Mm
1: -hmm. while
0: we're trying, it's not the only thing. And if you can't do it, it doesn't mean you're never going to do it.
1: Well, books, I to me, book characters in books can be like friends, like, yeah. oh, I loved, oh, they prevailed, or oh, that was sad, but they made it through, and they grew, and I don't know, there's a certain identification with it that is encouraging.
0: Sure, and sometimes being able to do that with a novel, so it's, this is just a character, it's not a real person, this right. is, you know, is enough, it's a bump, it's a buffer, like, I'm not going to go under the water. I'm just going to be here with this. And then other times reading someone's, you know, really poignant memoir of loss is the thing that rings your bell. And I think my point is there isn't one right way. It's just letting people know, you know, you've described using therapy, you've described using other relationships and community, writing, reading. I mean, all of those are just such gorgeous Ways earlier today, I talked to a poet who talked about hiking and and doing poetry and music. It's just really important for people to hear. It's not about sitting down and having a big guttural cry and then you're over it. It's right. about, you know, noticing where is the weight and the energy on my body and how do I distribute it so it feels like I can carry it because I, I don't really decide to put it down. It's it decides it doesn't need to be carried when it's ready.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I am really grateful for this conversation today. Well, me
1: too. This has yeah. been very thought provoking and illuminating. Good,
0: good. I could talk about this stuff all day. And I do think about this as part of my grief story as processing. Mm-hmm you know, both my sort of academic knowledge and my personal experience and melding them together. They
1: seem to be coming together really well in this podcast, just from the episodes I've listened to. I really enjoyed kind of. Thank you. Actually, and coming on after having listened to some of the other guests, I thought, oh, I have a kind of expertise that's different than a child trauma therapist or, uh, but there is, we all bring a certain kind of expertise. And I I appreciate that you're kind of holding all of those in the same setting. Good,
0: good. I'm glad it feels good. And that is how I think about it, which is that we're all sort of, I don't know, that beautiful phrase of walking each other home. But I, that notion of, we're all kind of trying to do the same incredibly hard thing at different stages and at different levels with different innate wisdoms.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, the lived experience, lived experience yeah. as an expertise, I think is, is undervalued in our, society but i yeah. i like seeing that that is being honored here
0: i cannot wait for your book well that thanks just, i will I definitely share it, it with you
1: thank you so much for your thank time thank you megan so take care really i've yeah. really enjoyed this okay take care bye bye
0: Hey, y'all. Go to the show notes to connect with Peg and her book club and to learn more about her book, which comes out in the not-so-distant future. And please remember, we really rely on your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find our podcast and get support through listening to other people's stories. Thanks so much, and we'll listen again next week.